first one the question was pretty easy compared to this one or maybe not why would you call yourself a christian if you would call yourself a christian maybe you work in the shipyard and you're a bunch around guys or women you know they're just like and are you a christian why what would your response be because really i think that's more of an important question it's not about church it's about christianity and then it comes to the third question I have to, to you. Here it is. Why did you come to Christ? Why did you come to Christ? Because ultimately, whatever that answer is, would be the answer for the other two. Why did you come to Christ? Now, for me, when I was seven years old, Eager Beaver was on a flannel graph. And my Sunday school teacher finally laid out the plan of salvation, and I heard it, heard it in my little Baptist church, and finally it clicked, and I realized what this was all about. Why did you come to Christ? And this is, there's many things I don't get in this world. Christianity should be exploding. Well, it is in other countries, but not in America because it's become fuddy-duddy and we've institutionalized it and it's become religious. Thousands should be coming to Christianity. Listen to this. Of all the benefits of Christianity, and I just wrote a few down, we have peace. The world longs for peace. The world sends diplomats, sends weapons, does all they can for peace. We have peace. No other religion, no other government, no other philosophy system can put forth peace like Christianity. We have true peace. Ephesians chapter 2. Because of the cross, we have peace. We are reconciled and we have peace. It's amazing. That alone should draw thousands a day to Christianity. We have forgiveness of sins. Maybe one of my questions should be, what are your worst sins? I could call you all by name. You'd be very quiet. But we have forgiveness of sins. We take this for granted. We have joy. We don't just have happiness that comes and goes. We have true, secure joy that cannot be touched. Found in Christ alone. That alone should bring thousands to Christianity. We have eternal life. <laughs> right there is what people think it's all about. It's not just a ticket to heaven. But we do have eternal life found in Jesus. And this is life, that they may know Jesus Christ. John 17, verse 3. He's eternal life. But of all the benefits of Christianity, peace, joy, forgiveness of sins there's one thing that stops my heart that arrests my heart that causes me to fall to my knees and it's just one word love love turn in your bible to john 15 if you don't have a bible put your hand up because we're going to look at a lot of passages we're going to look at 11 different passages today John 15. I said we were going to take a couple weeks looking at just this one verse. 
John chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible again, just put your hand up. Pastor John will get you one. Verse 9, John 15. And the verse we're going to focus on again is verse 12. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you'll remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Verse 12. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. You know what it is? What brings me to Christ? It's not me. (laughs) So when I asked the question, what brings you to Christ? Really, it's not me. It's His love that brings me. His love is what brings me to Him. Look at this verse. Love each other as I have loved you. So if we want to look at this chronologically or theologically, we don't first begin with, hey, love each other. We first need to look at His love for us. So this is just a very simple sermon. It's just... We are to love others, and God loves us. We talked a little bit about we are to love others. And this week, I kind of got myself in trouble. I started thinking, okay, my job as a pastor is to not just dish out truth statements. I love doing that. I love thinking about the truths in the Scripture and saying, hey, look at this truth. Help align your heart, right? That's truth, and end there. Really, my job is to then spur you on to love and good deeds. My job is to come alongside of you. Here's my analogy. Wherever you are in your walk with God, in this journey in life, my heart's desire is like a coach. I want to come along, I'm a shepherd coach style, come along and put my hand in the small of your back and jog along with you and push you on to know Christ more. Not push you on to fall over, don't go too far with this analogy. But wherever you are, my job is to come alongside of you, find out where you are, and just push you on to know his great love. So if all I do is just read a bunch of verses, state truth, I think I've failed. So then I realized what I need to do is, let's talk about how do we do this. And here's where I got in trouble. I realized that studying love in Scripture is so huge, so gigantic, that I realized I might want to quit my job and study this the rest of my life. But then I realized that is my job. All right, I got it made. I'm not in trouble. But the study of love in Scripture has caught me in a way this week. I don't know what to do with it. You know I love studying three words. Holy, glory, and worship. That's what I'm going to do. I love studying a couple people. You know, um, George Washington, 
John Wesley, John Edwards. That's what I'm going to do. But something happened this week. Where I just look at this word love, and I've looked at a, over 100 verses, and I just was like, this may change my life. So I want to encourage you, do that on your own. In fact, if you take a look at your bulletin, I have got this. And if you don't have one of these, put your hand up. Pastor John has got a few in his hand. Everyone get one of these. I know some of you, you're married, so you share the bulletin. These are just 40. 40 passages, 40 different verses, so you can begin looking at this concept of love in Scripture. Take a look at some of these verses. Look at the first one we got. Exodus 34. If you don't have one, just keep your hand up. They're coming. Exodus 34, verse 6. The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Remember, we spent a lot of time on that. It's his great chesed, his love. And there are so many passages here on love. So these are just a few, only 40. And my prayer is this week, when you look at some of these verses, that you do this. Literally, please, go and be a student. Always be a student. Get a notebook, and there's 70 pages in your typical notebook. On each page, just write out this verse or this passage. I've got in there Romans 8, 34 through 39. So it's a little chunk there, not just one verse. Write it out, and then journal think about it, wrestle with it, soak, let it soak into you, let it stain you in such a way we just go, wow, this is powerful. So let's look at a few verses here. When we study the concept of love in Scripture, we realize that we are to love others. We did that last week. We looked at a couple verses. Let's look just at a few more here. 1 John 3.18. 1 John 3.18. This was going to be my, my main verse as I thought about, well, let's, how do you love? How do we really do this? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. You know what it's like having someone that just loves you with lip service, right? Oh, I love you. Oh, I'll pray for you. And they never do. Let's love with actions. And here it is. We show that we have eternal life by imitating Jesus in surrendering our lives to Christ. And I wrote this down, and please, get this in you. This is, this is one for our church. Living biblically is ultimately a community project here it is think about this living biblically is ultimately a community project 
not the achievement of an individual. We can't do this on your own. There are no lone rangers in the Bible. In Christianity, you can't do this alone. Living biblically is living together. And we must love with action and in truth. The action of caring for each other's needs is the true demonstration of love. The action of caring for each other's needs is the true demonstration of love. And then the next chapter, 1 John 4, 7, and 8. Little kid, I memorized this in my little King James. Beloved, let us love one another, for love comes from God. And anyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Beloved, let us love one another. We need to love each other. Our lives are to be characterized by God's love. Turn to this section in Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14. Here's another section that I slowed down this week and, and kind of looked at this and was like, wow! <laughs> Can we spend two months? I wish we could just get like a big cruise ship that won't sink or crash into the shore or won't have food poisoning on it. and We could just as a church spend two months and just study this section here. Listen to this church. This is so true for our church, for Crossway Church, this little section. You have chapters 12, 13, and 14. And here's my little analogy. This isn't the best, but you know me, I like food, so I'm always thinking food. This is kind of like a sandwich illustration. Chapter 12 is bread. Chapter 13 is the meat. And then chapter 14 is bread. Chapter 12 is, guess what? You're the body of Christ. We all have different gifts, so use those in different ways. Do this. You all have certain gifts. Gifts are important. We have many parts, but look at the last verse of 12. You notice how, in most of your Bibles, it looks like it's a part of chapter 13. Oh, you have all these gifts. You're supposed to help it. You be this. Look at the last verse. Eagerly desire the greater gifts. And now I will show you the most excellent way. And then chapter 13, the meat, the solid stuff. Oh, yeah, we have gifts. That's important. But what's the core? Love. And then the first couple verses. You can have great things in your church. You can be a church that stands for doctrine. That's, that's our church. You can stand for all these great things. You can have all your ducks in a row, but if you don't have love, you are nothing. If you think of the book of Revelation, the seven churches, what church was that? Ephesians. They had it all together, but they lost their first love. If I speak with the tongue of men and of angels but have not love, I'm only a gong, a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and fathom all mysteries and knowledge of the faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and so in my body to the flames, have not love, I 
gain nothing. And here's divine mathematics. Five minus one equals zero. Five things in here. If you minus love, it equals zero. Nothing. Five minus one equals what? Zero. If you don't have love, it's nothing. So Paul looks at chapter 12 and says, hey, this, we're the body. We're supposed to have different gifts. There's a purpose. Don't complain that you're this or this. Use it. Use your gifts. Look at the first verse, the last part of 12 again. And now I will show you the most excellent way. And that's love. Look at verse 13, chapter 13, 13. And these three, three things remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And then chapter 14, he looks at two specific gifts. But how does he begin those gifts? Look at the words. Follow the way of love. Or as one translation says, pursue love. I love how, love how, I like how, not to mess up here, the end of chapter 12, the last verse says, the most excellent way, love. The first verse of 14, pursue, follow the way of love. So I encourage you, look at chapter 13, verses 4 through 8. And again, I kind of got myself in trouble this week. I just realized we need to stop everything. And the next four months, look at this concept of love. And we may just take a lot of time looking at four through eight. Because if we really want to know how to love, that's how you do it. And that's very hard. If you don't believe me, ask my wife. She lives with me. She has to be patient. She has to be kind. Because I can be a bum at times. And selfish. Follow the way of love, church. Pursue love. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10, 24. I said this before when I began. For all you vegetarians, this should be your favorite part of Scripture. It's a bunch of lettuce. Let us draw near to God. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Verse 24. And let us consider. So this means we need to sit down and think about it. Let us consider how we may spur one another, encourage one another, come alongside of them and push them on to. Let us consider how we can spur one another on to love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are. Let us think about how we can spur one another on. And the last one we're going to look at, we are to love each other is Ephesians chapter 5. I love this section. Ephesians is one of my favorite books. It truly is. Ephesians chapter 5. Paul just dished out, penned out some of the greatest words stating that you have been called by Christ. You're in Christ. Truth statements. Then chapter 4, 5, and 6, he says, okay, 
You've been called, but now this is how your conduct should be. Your conduct should match your calling. You hear that? Your conduct should match your calling. Look at chapter 5, Ephesians 1 and 2. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. Why are we to be imitators of God? Because we're loved by Him. We'll get to that in a moment. Verse 2. And live a life of love. Here it is. Just as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I said I was going to say, here's a, I sat down and I even emailed this out saying, you know what, we're going we're gonna to take some time and I'm going to say, how do we love each other? The how? I had some great ideas this week. But I realized there's one thing that trumps all my ideas. As legit as they are, and some of them were in Scripture. If you want to love, there's one foundational thing you need to begin with. The greatest way to love is to see and savor the beauty of the cross. Let me say that again. Write this down. Etch this into your memory. Because this is the foundation of all love. If you want to love, you must see and savor the beauty of the cross. If you want to love... You start with the cross. Listen to this verse. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love by coming up all these cool ways to love, by helping ladies across the street, by forgiving. Yeah, those all come in play. But the first thing is this. Live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. When we see the beauty of the cross, and we see that it's a fragrant offering, and we savor on that, that's when love begins. The greatest way is to set your heart aflame. Think of this. The greatest way is to set your heart aflame with love and see and appreciate the cross. Every time you breathe. Think of the beauty of the cross. And I've said this many times. Every time you wake, every morning, just go, it's Good Friday and Easter. What a breath of life. And when you live like that, you'll understand love. Let me read two illustrations of what this is like. D.L. Moody started to study love. Listen to what he wrote down. I took up the word love. I do not know how many weeks I spent in studying the passages which it occurred till at last I could not help but loving people. I had been feeling or feeding on love so long that I was anxious to do everybody good I came in contact with. I got full of it. It ran out of my fingers. You take up the subject of love in the Bible, begin with those 40 verses I just gave you. You will get so full of it that you have got to do it. Open your lips. 
the flood of love of God flows upon our meeting. There is no use of trying to go to do church work without love. A doctor, a lawyer, may do good work without love. But God's work cannot be done without love. When you start to begin to study love, it oozes from you. If you want to learn how to love that person in your family that's hard to love, don't come up with a list of saying, i got to forgive, i got to do a list of... Because then you'll, you'll do it on your own effort. If you begin by seeing and savoring the beauty of the cross and the love found in God towards you, you will naturally love because you'll see that you're forgiven. Here's another from a great preacher that I'm just getting into and I need to read more of, Martin Lloyd-Jones. Anybody hear of him? Okay, good. Here it is. Listen to this. The secret of the early Christians, the early Protestants, the early Puritans, the early Methodists, was they were taught about the love of Christ. They became filled with a knowledge of it. Once a man has the love of Christ in his heart, you need not train him how to love. He will do it. He will know the power, the constraint, the motive. Everything is already there. It is plain in front of them. And it would be a lie to suggest to people who regard this knowledge of the love of Christ as a supreme thing is useless. It's unhealthy or it's mystic. The servants of God who, here it is, the servants of God who have most adorned the life and the history of the Christian church have always been men who have realized that this is the most important thing of all. They have spent hours in prayer seeking his face and enjoying or as I would say, savoring his love. The man who knows the love of Christ in his heart can do more in one hour than the busiest type of man can do in a century. God forbid it that we should ever make, an, make of an activity an end to itself. Let us realize the motive must first come from and that motive must ever be the love of Christ. So how do we love? We look at the cross and we see the love of Christ. And as I said, you must, and here's some play with words here, it's a bunch of E's, but you must examine the, Christ, the cross, examine his love, 40 verses, just begin there. After you examine it, then you express it. But love that's only expressed and not experienced doesn't make it. You must then experience it individually and within the church. So let's end with looking just at a few verses of God's great love for us. So when we study the concept of love in Scripture, we realize that love originates from God. Again, John 15, we read that. Love each other as I have loved you. 
It begins with Christ. How has he loved his disciples? Turn to John 13. In in this verse, this this is the the last part of verse 1 is is one of these phrases that just settle in my heart. It's almost like my, my wife likes tea. I don't like tea. It's just, it's got that bitter taste, I guess. If you put a bunch of honey in it, it's okay. But the longer, I guess, she says, you, she lets it steep or seep or whatever the word is, seep, I think it is, it, it gets darker. And I guess that would be me making coffee and run it through again and just keep it going through the beans. You know, just, this is something, let it seep in your heart. Ponder this. Don't just come up with a Sunday school answer. Think this is just profound. It was just before the Passover feast. Look at verse 1, John 13. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world. So he's already loved them. Here's this phrase. He now showed them the full extent of his love. Or as one translation says, he loved them to the end. And guess what that is? The cross. Why would the Son of God, so precious, take my place? I have done wicked things, horrific things, and he took my place. He just didn't say it. He showed them the full extent of his love. He begins with washing their feet and then goes to the cross. His love solved the problem of our sin. How beautiful is that? His love solved the problem of sin. 1 John 4 again, listen to this. Beloved, let's love one another, for love comes from God. In verse 19, we love because he first loved us. Why did we come to Christ? You want the answer? Because he first loved us. That's profound. It wasn't me searching for the bread of life. It was the bread of life searching for me. His love. We loved him because he first loved us. It's not because I'm good enough, but because he loves so much. In fact, the next time I talk to someone that says, well, I'm going to do this because it makes me good, I'm going to just be like, it's not because we're good enough, it's because he loved so much, lived a life of obedience all the way to the cross. God loves us. We love because he first loved us. Why do I go to church? Because he loved me. It's his love that draws me to abandon all this fruitless stuff in life and put all my hope all my security in the king and his kingdom. So how do we know that God loves us? 
we love him because he first loved us, turn to Romans chapter 5. Here's another cruise boat we could go on or just spend months looking at this. So great. Not only does he love you, but, think of this, not only does he love you, but, here's a little verse that if you're ever in Sunday school or Awanas or any kind of kids program, this is the verse you memorize. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Not only does he love you, verse 8, but God demonstrated. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. He shows it. While we were still sinners, enemies, violators of God's law, violators of God, while we were still enemies, Christ died for us. How do you know God loves you? You were an enemy of the cross, and he took your place. How could you not love him and worship him forever? We get busy, don't we? We have other things to manage in our life. How do we know? But God demonstrated his love for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He has proven his love in the greatest way. Now, my wife thought I proved my love to her in the greatest way by getting her a dozen roses. The first time, they were from a dumpster. They were free. I was resourceful, right? Why not? Or, when she went on a missions trip to India, I wrote her a 70-page letter. That really proved some love. Or I bought her a diamond ring and said, Would you marry me? Please, will you marry me? God proves his love in the greatest way. You never have to feel alone. You never have to feel alienated from from people because you have the love of Christ in you. He loves you in the greatest way. His death is the proof of his love and his resurrection guarantees this love. Thus, we have total security in him. Let's look at the last passage here, Romans chapter 8. Because of his great love, we have total security in his love. I keep praying and saying, Lord, someday let us go through Romans 8 as a church. So I I don't hear from it yet, so I just keep slipping in once in a while for you all. We never have to feel alone. You never have to feel weary without hope. Oh, you'll be weary at times, but without hope? No. Why? Look at this. Romans chapter 8, verse 35 and following. Who shall separate us from the love of God. 
the love of Christ. Think about it. Sometimes we want to separate ourselves from it. We try to logically think through all these issues and try to, we let circumstances try to separate us from the love of Christ, the love of God. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? As is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. It's not just we are more than conquerors and that's all you put on your t-shirt. It's we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that, look at this, that neither what? Neither death nor life nor angels, nor demons, nor things present in the future, nor powers, neither height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. God loves us. And if you want to learn how to love, what's the how? The first step is not come up with a list of things to do, tasks, which are important. The first thing is to see and savor the beauty of the cross and realize we love because he first loved us. So be a freak about the cross. Study it, memorize it, soak it in, look at all the aspects. No wonder we're looking at the Old Testament to see how it points to the cross and the beauty of our great salvation. And one of the greatest ways to savor and see the beauty of the cross is to fellowship together with communion. What a celebration to think about the beauty of the cross and partake of communion. That's what we're going to do today. If you want to learn how to love, how? Think of the cross and the beauty of the love of God. Nothing can separate you from that. You may get hit with a plague that's so horrible and your life gets to spiral down. But if you see the beauty of the cross, you will have hope and you will taste of that love so let me pray before we begin to think and ponder more of the cross